Purahato Sama Sambodhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Rahato Sama Sambodhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Rahato Sama Sambodhasa Udhang Hamang Sanghang Namasam <clears throat> it's called the second tetrad training oneself I shall breathe in experiencing rapture I shall breathe out experiencing rapture I shall breathe in experiencing pleasure I shall breathe out experiencing pleasure I shall breathe in experiencing the mental formation I shall breathe out experiencing the mental formation I shall breathe in tranquilizing the mental formation. I shall breathe out tranquilizing the mental formation. <coughs> okay. Hmm. Not um, terribly lyrical, this stuff, in its expression. Hmm. Dealing with <laughs> dealing with Vedana feeling. This uh, second foundation of mindfulness, Vedana. Vedana is a um, physical base or mental base. And as we've come from regarding body, I've been just trying to work within experiencing the body of the breath, the length, the short, and recognizing one can lengthen the focus, one can close a focus, one can extend a focus, one can massage a focus. One can balance a focus so that focus, focusing, focusing quality of the mind is something that's a little more engaged and active. Right? So you're, you're engaging and activating a, a focus. You're not putting, you know, stimulating objects within a focus to get the focus going. So this is the difference between what I call a kind of passive activity, which is when you just put something stimulating in that jangles you around, and this kind of more um, receptive activity is actually just activating your receptivity, strengthening your receptivity, adjusting and fluctuating your receptivity so that you actually are getting much more of a hands-on experience of, well, in this instance, breath, but ideally, as one exercises the jitta, you're able to get a more of a hands-on experience of life, what, you know, exactly what you're going to focus on, how you want to perceive things rather than just kind of being, having stuff dumped on you. Um, there's a lot of this in the suttas, like just be, just learning to focus on body as elements, you know, so that the perception of body as elements is a very cooling, non-agitating, non, non-threatening, non-frightening, non-seductive experience. You just, you know, but it's, it actually leads the mind in, and it's a flowing experience that subtly energizes the mind. The mind is allowed not to be clamped by a perception, but actually a perception that, that lets the mind move and focus and expand. So uh, uh, a lot of when perceptions are very coarse and inflamed, then they like perceptions that are associated with greed or passion or hatred 
what they do is they, they tend to they put so much pressure on your mind that your mind is just seized by those experiences. You know, when you're obsessed, you're overwhelmed. But when you bring in perceptions that are dispassionate, the mind is not seized and overwhelmed. The mind can then engage. It's got some independence, it's got some energy to it. It's not captured by things, it, it moves towards it. And this sense of the mind then engaging actively from a, from a position of interest, from a position of inquiry, is what begins to bring around this quality of aliveness to, to your receptivity. The numbness, the deadness goes out of it. If this, if it, when this occurs, there is, there can be a subtle, most kind of quasi-physical um, feeling, like we talk about subtle body energies or subtle energies. It's rather like feeling a bit more alive, a bit more awake, a bit brighter. Um, you know, rather than being stale or drab, you, you feel a little more perky. And um, so that's, the, if you like, the physical sign of it. And then there's the the mental sign, which is where we enter the emotional realm. So the emotions of Sormanasa, Dormanasa, um, which is happiness or unhappiness, these states, the feeling, the mental feelings are associated with the emotions. Emotion is actually a complex of perception, feeling and activity. It's, it's a whole kind of it's a, it's, it's a um, particular perception arises friend pleasant feeling therefore movement towards that or some reaction towards that you get this emotional thing you may feel yourself um, you know then getting into worry or doubt or you know loneliness or whatever so you get this emotional emotional thing is this cycling of a perception of feeling and then a mental activity that then kind of Tends to spin. And when you, <clears throat> part of our meditation is of disciplining, uh, cultivating, channeling um, this emotional field. So instead of there being um, that you 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 select particular perceptions. And then you, instead of, uh, and then you you contain and gather in the the mental activities. So, for example, we take up a perception of may all beings be well, or may I be well, or may this body be well, or may somebody I like be well. So then a particular perception arises, and a feeling of of concern, fondness, warmth, and something like that. And then, but then. As a, as a meditator, then you you contain that, or you collect that particular state of mind, and you even it out, so that it becomes like an expansive state of just well-being, like metta bhavana. It's not I should do this, I should do that, and that make them happy. This and that. And the other. It's not a kind of state where it goes into the activities. Hmm? So you, you you establish a a, a realm which has got this. Um, feeling tone, well-being, 
a happy, positive tone, but it doesn't have to um, engage with these mental activities, the mental psychology. So this is where the, the emotion is 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 polished or tuned or or collected instead of it spilling out into various psychological activities. Um, it's contained and held just as that. It's like a pure, very pure prayer without any, um, therefore I should do this, I should do that, they should be this way, why aren't they like this or that and the other. It's not a kind of, it doesn't get into the fussing, agitating state that emotions can get into. Mm-hmm. So that an un, when emotion is not cultivated clearly, then what happens is we tend to get these um, you know, sporadic bursts of perception, feeling, and then mental activities um, that make the emotional realm somehow you know, very agitating and unsettling. And yet, it's also something you can't dismiss it because there is a resonance there. You know, it's not like a, a flat world of thought where you just kind of get a, a rational definition of somebody, you are actually getting some empathetic resonance happening there. So you can't dismiss the emotional realm at all. And if you can't handle the emotional realm, the tendency is to go into patterns of shutting it down altogether for periods of time and then blowing up every now and then. <laughs> or caving in every now and then, or, you know, or the emotions get very negative. So it's a, to sustaining it by keeping it within the level of, of feeling and perception. So what do we do in a puja? You know, puja is in a way perception of Buddha. If Buddha doesn't work for you, then wise being, compassionate spirit, great heart, um, serenity, joy. You know, however you like to see it. If you don't like the idea of, you know. Uh, this kind of whatever this image does to you or the idea of a person if you don't like that you can disembody it Buddha is just a title it's not a person it's an expression it's a gesture of of perfected humanity so the the image or the perception of a perfected humanity and then you know then that perception in the mind the feeling warmth um and then the sense of the mind being lifted up by that, attuned by that. And then we can sustain it. We try to sustain that particular mood. Even let go of the image and just sustain the mood. This is when you get more fine-tuning and more focusing within that particular realm. Similarly, you know, the feeling of metta, first of all, Oh, the experience of metta, first of all, bringing in conducive perceptions. People you feel grateful to, people you respect, people you feel fond of. You know, bring that up. And then when the image is there, there's a, the, this particular feeling tone arises. And it's felt. There's a pleasant feeling. There's a certain... Um, and then you sustain that. And then, then you can actually let the images drop or, or decline or pass away and see how long it stays, and if it kind of starts to flounder, then you bring back an image, and then perhaps you start to see if you can, can 
sustain that experience and then put another image in it. Somebody you feel, yeah, all right, but no big thing, you know. <laughs> and you put them in it, that perception in it. And then somebody you feel a certain sense of, well, I'm sure he's a very nice person, but... <laughs> Down to... Every time I see him, I feel violent. <laughs> and you drop one of those in it, the thing just <laughs> shatters like crystal. <laughs> So it does show you just probably just how how the, the the emotional the feeling and the emotion are so conditioned by a perception, aren't they? You know, you put a perception of somebody, you get a kind of knee jerk re- reaction to, and then these kind of tremendous excited things come up. You know, you say something like polit politician Saddam Hussein or Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> You know, this whole thing goes really sour. But as an exercise, we're not really making statements about these people. You know, that's their karma is their karma, whatever it is. Yeah. But now you're you're actually energizing your 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 own jitta. So instead of just you know, it it. it Plugging into whatever negative perceptions you have, you can you can cancel that. This is what we mean by <coughs> I mean by uh, really activating and engaging awareness. A lot of time we don't engage or activate it. Um, it's passive. It's whatever happens, really. And so, because of that, our lives are limited because we can only actually move within certain realms that we feel positive about, or if we're in realms or areas that we feel negative about, we just shut down. I'm all right? Yeah, fine. Yeah. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> This is the example of feeling fine. <laughs> if you say, I don't feel fine, but I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> well, I don't even know what I feel, you know, because something in this one is inhibiting the feeling. Um, and of course, the, 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 you know, the great classic PhD thesis on, 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 on meta, the great trial is get the perception me and drop that in there and see what happens. It just kind of, or what? Sometimes it's good to exercise these things with talking about anapanasati, but it's um, it's um the main trunk of a great tree and the branches are worth moving along and sometimes have to be moved along when the root up the tree, the, the path up the tree gets blocked you've got to take a roundabout so particularly learning to energize and activate this, this particular, this basis, the mental feeling which is the jitta sankara 
the mental formation, the activation of the mind. Uh, sankara is a very difficult word to, to translate sometimes. Conditioner, determinant, activator, activation, formation, activities, all these things are kind of linguists trying to get around to this. But as an experience, it's that sense of the mind being activated by, and then what it's activated by is, is the Jitta Sankara as an object. The activation is the Jitta Sankara as an experience. So it's activated by perception. You put a perception there, and the Jitta kind of recoils, moves forward, thinks about it, dismisses it, whatever. It gets moving on that, on perception, and perception is associated with a particular feeling tone. And this is the Jitta Sankara. So then you do exercises to particularly to reveal it, even in its negative state, in its kind of angry state, resentful state. This isn't something that you know we want to linger in, but we have to recognise these things. And then deliberate cultivations like Buddha Nusati, uh, reflection on the Buddha, to to establish that mainstay of raising the heart into something that is a very high register of of something more than affection, something more than warmth, but real um, respect, revering, um, you know, wanting to offer oneself. Again, you know, we are in a, we are in a bit of a plight here because um, a lot of um, what passes for respect is a socialized experience of respect which is really associated with fear and power. Um, that is, you have hierarchical systems, you have bosses, you have um, things of this, you know, relationships of this nature where the, you know, that which you actually defer to, you defer to because of, of fear, because of, you know, you've got to. So this, this sometimes washes over into our Buddha Nusati. <laughs> The Buddha is the governor. <laughs> so they think, well, right, give Steve incense. <laughs> <laughs> got to do this chanting, got to do the chanting. So it doesn't actually come from the heart. Sometimes it's easier to work from Dhamma and Sati, which is, uh, you know, Dhamma is a very much an, a personally empowering experience, saying it's here, it's available, it's wide open for you, that which you know for yourself. Mm-hmm. And probably, I would say, you know, in, in, in cultures where the, the, the stronger devotional side does fit into stronger, easier family relationships, where uh, people find it quite easy. Um, say, you know, in, in the East, you get, you get cults which are just about praising Buddha. Um, it's difficult for people to do here. But Dhamma is a little easier for people, feeling of, because then this is, you know, truth. We're we're more devoted to ideas than 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 the human. And then truth, particularly santitiko, immediate, not delayed in time, that which invites you inwards, invites you to move onwards, kind of, you know, it's a sense of um, a progressive experience and something that you see in yourself. And you have to realize for yourself, this 
this can be a very encouraging reflection. Of course, you can't really get an image of it. But that perhaps, you know, for some people, just an, an idea rather than an image has more power to it. There's more what the, um, arising of supportive emotion. So this supportive emotion is, is in Pali called the Sangwega, and it's, it's in terms of Dhamma, then it's that feeling of, you know, there, there's a possibility for awakeness, for clarity, for truth, for freedom from suffering. Uh, there's Buddha, which should, uh, in an ideal world, be that which inspires and, and makes one feel connected and belonging to and cared for and taught. Uh, it doesn't always happen that way. And Sangha, which is the sense of um, this can be done, this has been done, there are others on the path. There are beings who realize this. You know, in, in there, and it's gradu- graduated, it's not just the kind of pinnacle. There's also people who are on the way to getting their feet at the beginning of the path, people whose feet are firmly on the path, people who've walked a certain way and a certain way. So there's a sense of the graduated path, and that one can feel, well, you know, I'm sort of sweeping up behind them anyway. <laughs> yeah, you're in there somewhere. And this is, this is the feeling of, you know, just bringing it back home, bringing it back to you. Yeah. You're not alone. They've all gone this path through doubt, fear, agitation, resentment, depression, dullness. <laughs> That's the way <laughs> they've gone that way. So, you know, the hindrances. Yeah. And then I was, as I was just touched on the other night, the Sangwega, which is about recognizing the mortality. Yeah. Our own physical frailty and our mortality. So that means get going, you know. The bus is leaving, get going. Don't hang around. So sometimes this, just what do you do today if this is your last day? What are you going to do? Now, if you've got a year, you probably think, oh, I'll sort that out, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll you know, figure that out, write this, go visit the Bahamas. But if it's just, so, you know, the things I always wanted to do in my life. What if it's like, you got till 10, right? <laughs> it's now 9, you got till 10, what do you want to do? Huh? <laughs> uh, um, well, I guess I'll just sort of sit <laughs> And, you know, try to get in touch with where I am and just gather my life together at this moment. Now, this is more conducive. So when the Buddha said reflections on death, he said if you can get it down to to one inhalation, this is your last, one exhalation, that's your last, then you've really then you've got this marana sati, you've got it down. Then it's everything, you just well this is the last breath, let's go for it. This is the this is, you know, that real giving oneself into it. Now what these conduce to is a more vital and vibrant cultivated emotion, which is rapture. And rapture, its its features are, it is is vibrant, it sometimes, uh, sometimes it can be so vibrant it gets actually a bit, you know, um, unpleasant. But um, vibrant 
and it 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 spreads, it pervades like a prayer, like a song, like praise, like love. It's a pervasive, expansive thing, and it moves around. Yeah. Now, this is where it, it becomes absolutely really essential for the the, um, the meditation, because. Meditation can be, you know, when the emphasis is on trying to find and define and, and get it right, you get this kind of stiffness of trying to hold it. And then, then it gets unsettled, so you have to hold it. And then you just get into the breath, and then something changes or moves, so you've got to go back and try and hold it. So, you know, your, your jitter state can end up being rather in this held um, holding pattern trying to sustain it yeah. uh, and then uh, one becomes uh, then there's a reluctance to to to, mo- to move to move around to be moved to be affected to mm. um, to engage with anything because things might disturb it. So this is a very common, very common experience for, for meditators. You know, we see the meditation in a holding way, because at first there has, it seems that one has to do something like that to, to try to get this clearer focus. But the results are, one gets stale, one gets stiff, one gets dull, one gets bored. And one loses receptivity so that the practice doesn't get any further. You get to a certain point of calm, but then calm goes into staleness. And then you sort of do it, and then, okay, well, I've done me half an hour of being stale. Now, get hook out and do something else. Uh, and then, so then it can cause enormous discrepancies to occur between the, the meditative zone and realm and the active. You know, living relationship zone and realm they can, they can be widely different you know, because one hasn't actually sort of breached this barrier that's been built between the two and certainly retreat is something that this this can happen in formal retreats such as this um, the very structure and the form of it tend to provide a kind of holding pattern for everybody to to you know, be contained by and collect themselves in, but then in terms of a, a praising pattern or a rapturous, rapturous thing, it gets more tricky to to, to do. Yeah. What we need is ecstasy, actually. Not <laughs> But the, the subtleness of this is certainly one can start to, to activate this, the emotional base or the mental feeling base with things like the Brahma Vihara. And the most um, um, fully, the Brahma Vihara are called the, the boundaryless. They're the, they're the boundless or the, the, the measureless or the boundaryless states. Apamanyo, it means they have no, there's no way of defining this is the edge of it. So they, they continue, one of their activities is to continually soften, 
boundaries, extend and soften boundaries between people, between the various fragments of our own jit, our own psyche. You know, so we're able to encompass, uh, you know, our crabby um, personae, or our, you know, the various kind of different um, people personae that move through us. And we can start to be large-hearted about the whole, the whole show. It's this lessening of boundaries, and this is, I would suggest, this is as important, if not more important, than to try to stimulate the emotional, the feeling zone. That is, rather than say having tremendously passionate and poignant kind of movements of metta in your jitta, it's, um, you know, which can be nice, but you can't always do it. And it, it can be an, a, a bit of a sidetrack because one hooks onto the feeling. We don't use the feeling. We uh, maybe just um, indulge in the feeling or get high on the feeling. But to see how far you can spread it, to make it wide to the areas of Neutrality, you know, so that this is okay. The areas of things being a bit dirty or dingy, okay, this may this be well. Things being actually quite unpleasant, may this be well. So, metta, karuna, mudita, upeka. Upeka is the largest, you know, the, the, the thing where the boundaries have disappeared altogether because it's complete evenness. Around every, around it all, around all the formations, complete evenness. You know, so this is this is enormously spacious. It doesn't kind of cling and, and get excited about this one, and therefore not so excited about that one. With meta, you have gradations of it. Things you can feel very warm to, things you feel okay about, things you can just about endure. So it's got you've got boundaries in there. Upeka is no boundaries. It's all. You know, that's, it's, it's the widest. Equanimity, evenness. Engaged equanimity rather than, it, than the indifference. In terms of the practice, in terms of the retreat, there's the good days. There's the bad days, there's the ones in between. Mm-hmm. And with, when one in, properly engages with equanimity to that, then all of it is something one can learn from, one can cultivate with. And we begin to, instead of, you know, things are not going so well, one thing's a bit dull, painful, or your health isn't so good. And then because of that perception of yourself, particular feelings are aroused, particular emotional states are aroused, and then it goes into mental formations. So you start to think, well, I don't think I can really do this, and then I'm not as good as him, he's always sitting well, and then I'm the odd one out here, everybody else is doing so well, and then I'm ashamed of myself for blemishing this assembly. You know, and you get it goes like that. You know, and then you kind of crawl into your room. 
you know. And then, why does everybody hate me? <laughs> Where did that one come from? You know, it's a, the kind of escalation of these emotional states. Or you can maybe think one particular person, you know, maybe me, you know, kind of the, the uh, person who tend to gather the, the, the personal perceptions. I look down upon people, or, you know, because you know the, we what's happening is you get the rebound effect of of this whole un you know uncontrolled sankara process coming, and then it bounds back by creating the perception an external perception that will support it. I tell you, this is fearful, samsara. So where's it coming from? You know, is it somebody else? You don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe somebody does disapprove of you, hate you, or think you're an idiot or whatever. But right now, you know, you can know that you're experiencing this. This is happening here. Yeah. So receive that. This is happening here. Receive that. It's okay. You're all right. And then breathing through it. So the, the resonance of the breath, the easy, equanimous, steady resonance of the breath, just putting the, the tuning the jitta to that. And then um, the other ways uh, which we can actually use the breathing or anapanasati. These are the various reflections you can put in your mind. So I've mentioned the Brahma Vihara, the reflections on the Buddha Sangha, and reflections on mortality. And then you can also, once you begin to, to begin to see what's happening and how it's happening, then there are subtler uh, kinds of, of blocks and obstacles that occur. One of them is the obstacle of, which is associated with tranquility. And calm. And very often when um, hearing people talk about this, uh, such words are used as um, concentrating, calming, and then people may even criticize it saying it's about suppressing things. you use suppressive concentration, um, which is would be you know wouldn't be wouldn't be a suitable practice for anapanasati. <laughs> if you use suppressive concentration, you, you don't you can't possibly get into rapture and ease and tranquility, gladdening the mind. You can't. It doesn't. There's no way. You know, you might get a kind of little bit of a hold on the breath for a while, but, but even that would tell you eventually get numb. So, this idea, 
you know, suppress, suppressing suppressive concentration. It's, own, it's, it's perhaps a poor way of explaining that when you're grateful, you suppress ingratitude. I mean, the quality of gratefulness <laughs> dumps itself and washes out uh, miserliness or stinginess. So you could say it suppresses it, um, you know, and it overcomes it. But it's not like kind of repressing, which is taking hold of a bad feeling and holding it down. What happens is that, that through the, the processes that we undertake, uh, more supportive and conducive feelings just wash out cramped, negative, constrictive experiences. And it's to recognize that positive feelings are actually larger and vaster and more boundless than negative ones. Negative state will be accompanied by a constriction and a, 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 of the citta, meanness, spite, envy, resentment, malice, these things that you you know one doesn't want to wish this anybody would experiment with these but you know, when these happen you know you actually the jitter it goes all pickled and crinkly <laughs> and sour like a kind of little shriveled you know raisin or an orange or an olive or something kind of bitter uh, and then you know it actually feels tight tighter so that in those states people sometimes can't hardly speak you know, it's so clogged, it's so stifled that you, you, you can't hardly even speak properly when people get into these states. You know, I'm all right. Yeah. Nobody asked me. It's like that, you know, something even affects the lips. <laughs> it gets really stiff. So this is a very narrow and constricted state and then washing through this, so you're expanding it. First of all, acknowledging it, resonating with it, making it something that's got a bit of a movement in it, playing with it, giving it space, you know? receiving it. You know? Receiving the negative emotion just for what it is and not going to this spin of mental formations, new perceptions and building it up and up and up. When you feel a negative emotion, anger, despair, something like that, just try to receive it and when you focus on the heart, don't contract around it, don't defend yourself from it. Sometimes the contraction comes because one is defending, thinking that that would actually defend you. It doesn't. Trying to stay open with it, not blaming, knowing it, contemplating as something that has arisen flowing just as an energy and then it, it persists for as long as it persists it changes, it softens um, one may even find that in, in the tale of these afflictive experiences there arises compassion or humility or equanimity rather than some sort of triumphalism but something more equanimous something more generous towards oneself and towards other things, you know, you have to look after yourself. And, you know, you have to. Um, you've got some trouble there. So when we see the afflictions as maladies rather than as what we are, then the mind and heart move towards compassion and and looking for remedies rather than 
association with that malady and defending it by blaming it on somebody else. So when you're in a negative state, what does you move to? You move towards punishing yourself or towards healing yourself? Towards punishing somebody else or towards healing? Which is more conducive? I use the breath as the basic unit of one um, suffusion. One suffusion unit is a breath. You know, so that when we when one you say a sentence, you try to use a breath. You chant something, use your breath. Use the length of the breath. You know, so you get to the end of the breath, stop, breathe in. It doesn't matter where you are in a chant. You can you just use you regulate the chant with your breath. You just use as much breath as you can. You stop and start again. So the chanting can be a helpful thing. And you can, this is why I encourage people using their ears and voice and regulating it with their breath rather than their eyes, because your eye will drag you to the get to the end of the line. Well, you've got enough breath left on top. So then you lose the sort of sense of resonance. It's like reading a book, and then you feel guilty if you can't get to the end of the line. Or, or try to rush to get there, so you, one loses the actual tranquilizing effect. Now, using the breath for one outbreath of letting go, one outbreath of may I be well, one inbreath of may I be at peace, just like that, just for one, I use this one unit of the breath because it's the breath is a pervasive, suffusive experience. You get one unit of suffusion is an in-breath, one unit of pervasion is an out-breath, like that. So the, you can use the Brahma Vihara in line with the breath, and make the, so sometimes that actually warms and changes the way you experience and relate to the breath. Instead of seeing the breath as a something I've got to see and find with my discriminative mind, the breath is now something that I am and I'm using with my heart. And there's a shift over there. When you're using it, you have to find it. You got it. You're breathing all the time. When you try and find it, how come you can't find it? When you're doing it all the time. Because that the mind loses its ability to receive something. So that trying actually blocks out the ability to be aware of the breath. When you're trying to be aware you're aware of trying. Now when we're breathing kindness, when we're breathing equanimity, then the breath is kind and equanimous. So, you know, it fits together with, with the mood. The two come together. And the very vibrant quality of the breath becomes almost like a physical or an energetic counterpart to the mood. This is where, this is where the, the rapture begins, because the rapture is this, this coming together and then being able to spread it, move it around. So, 
Breathing in, breathing out, rapturously. Breathing in, breathing out, gratefully. Breathing in, breathing out, (coughs) with praise. Consider those. Breathing in, breathing out, praisingly. Breathing in, breathing out, gratefully. Breathing in, breathing out, effortlessly. Breathing in, breathing out, expansively. Breathing in, breathing out, for all beings. The sense of realising that the very perception of the breath is affected by the kind of ways you approach it, and you know that the, the sankara, the act, the mental activity that that relates to the breath. So your mental activity is about finding and concentrating, and trying to calm down and hold. Yeah, that mental activity then, as I've tried to explain, con- is conducive to the mental feeling in this in this emotional realm. So you get the mental feeling of tight holding probably haven't got it yet, doubt, and then stillness. What about if we go to the mental feeling and make the mental feeling breathing in, breathing out, exuberantly, breathing in, breathing out, ecstatically, breathing in, breathing out, gloriously, breathing in, breathing out, wonderfully. Allowing oneself these these perceptions, these, these, these feelings. This becomes more possible when we have begun to move into puja, move into the realm of praise. Just bringing out the praise body, bringing, out, bringing up the praising mind. And then once you've got it up there, if you can, and, you, and you breathe with it, you chant with it so that the the, the praising mood and the breath body are knitted together. Now can we hold it? Bring it back here. Breathing in, breathing out, praisingly. Breathing in, breathing out, reverently. Breathing in, breathing out, wonderfully. So we look at this rather than
But breathe in, breathe out. Now I've got to try and find some rapture. <laughs> I'm supposed to be experiencing rapture. I wonder why I'm not experiencing rapture. Everybody else is experiencing rapture except me. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the rapture? Find that rapture. Was that the rapture? I don't think so. You should find this and find some rapture there. No. So, you know, it's not possible. Breathing in, breathing out rapturously, or just being rapturous. <laughs> you know, like feeling your energy extend, feeling your awareness extend, you know? letting your awareness move through your body. You know? Not being frightened of coughing, <laughs> or fidgeting, or disturbing somebody. <laughs> being defiled. Your creepy defiled energy is polluting the person next to you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's sort of lowering the boundaries. You know? Generously, breathing in, breathing out generously. So then this is then this is you know, if you focus on the, the mood and the mood tones and you play with the mood tones and then that's that's suffusive, permeating experience, you'll find that the, the breath body will, will accompany that. Yeah. And then you can detect the quality of the breath with it, so that you can work from either the, the mental or the emotional side back to the breath, or the breath, moving the breath around the body, moving the breath energy through the body, work from the the, the the material side, rather like we're doing these qigong things where you're actually moving, you start on a kind of like a physical basis and move perhaps towards more like the, the mind. You know? These are kind of models of, of ways in which, which these um, experiences come around. So you come into a flow state. And then you don't have to sort of be so bunched up about it. And it doesn't get stale. And then then contentment, like uh, um, where are we? pleasure is more like ease, so that once one, when one's um, jitta, when one's rapture body has actually exercised itself, so it's feeling, it's a feeling in the nerve ends of your, your jitta, you're not sort of paralyzed, then the state of, of being feeling well. It's rather like when we've done some exercise and you feel toned up. So then you're, you're resting, but you're in a toned state. This is with the experience of sukha. And then more, more moving on towards the, the equanimity end of the scale, so that the breath is then something where the, the boundaries of the body, you know, begin to dis- disappear. You don't feel you're in something. You don't feel you're, you're kind of like in a, some sort of bag of sensations. You know, it, it suffuses and you get this sense of ease and measurelessness. Um, tranquil, um, so experiencing that, that, the way this works, the mental activities, the perception, the feeling, and then uh, easing it out. So tranquilizing, again, tranquilizing is not 
I find it there's some slightly unfortunate connotations, um, pharmaceutical connotations. <laughs> <laughs> you know, basically tranquilizers are suppressants by and large. You know, they're just going to numb you. And so um, I would think rather than tranqu- tranquilizing, sometimes what's used is satisfying, satisfying the mind rather than tranquilizing you and trying to numb it down. But um, feel ease. So that, that the mental formation, the mental activity is no longer kind of in this agitated state, some rocking, slightly doubting. Is this right? I've got it there. Feeling a bit you know, wobbling backwards and forwards. It, it eases. And the only thing to do is to just feel well. Breathe in, breathe out, feeling well. Feeling at ease, confident. You're where you are, it's fine. Standing, breathing in, breathing out. Sitting, breathing in, breathing out. So don't just confine yourself to the sitting posture. If you do this again, there is a certain disadvantage with the sitting. It is very good for that holding pattern, but you know it gives one some sort of sense of solidity. But then, if you strain, you, you know you can get into that. I've got to sit here, mustn't move, and then you know you, it's held again. Sit up straight, don't move. So you know I've got to wait for the bell to ring. <laughs> so you know you one could sit perhaps quite happily for 45 minutes, but if you, you're waiting for the bell to ring, any minute is too long. So that you stand up. I'll be the odd one out. <laughs> Everybody else can sit but me. <laughs> You've got to get over this stuff. It's a hell with everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> and there's particularly standing, the space around you. And sitting when you sit, try to breathe into the space around you. So get over this sense of being within a, some sort of skin bag, um, you know, where, where the breath only kind of ends at the end of the skin. Let it go out the skin. Let yourself go out that way. Breathe into the space around you, as if the space was like um, like water, and you could actually, when you moved in it, you could feel it rippling. Yeah, as if the space was something that was warmed by your by your body within it. So you send your warmth from your body, from your warm body into this space around you, like it's a kind of a liquid that you're warming up. Mm-hmm. So breathe out through that into the space around you, stand in the space around you, walk carrying the <coughs> space with you. So this spreading, permeating, this is rapture. And it's to see it like that I would suggest is more significant than to look for particular emotional highs, just as with the Brahma Vihara. It's the, it's not the high; it's the boundlessness of it. It's the freeing up of it. It's the, it's what it washes away, rather than what its emotional tone is per se. So the important thing with rapture is to move it and spread it. Do the moving and spreading, and you experience rapture.